Welcome to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. With me today is Mitch Galton, Director of Business Development at Urban Grow. Thank you very much for joining me today, Mitch. Oh, thanks for having me, Dad. Pleasure to be here. All right. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving us a positive review on whatever podcast platform you use. Finally, if you want to make reach the podcast, you can reach me at David at CannabisEquipmentNews.com. And to make sure you get the podcast in your inbox first, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter at CannabisEquipmentNews.com. All right, Mitch. So I'd like to get started by learning a little bit about how you came to the cannabis industry. You know, uh, where'd you start? Yeah, so I, I started my career at Fluence Bioengineering, um, an LED company back in 2016. Um, you know, so the, the lighting landscape and, and, you know, general cannabis industry landscape was a little bit different than it is today. Um, I actually left college to go join the team at Fluence. Um, they were, you know, much smaller than they are uh, nowadays, but at the time, you know, probably about 20, 30 people. I was one of the first salespeople. Um, and I had the pleasure of, of working really closely with the ownership team and a lot of our, you know, really larger commercial partners, um, you know, all the way through facility design and, you know, post-operation once they kind of got the lights up and running. So you left college to uh, join the industry? I did. So I'd actually, you know, I worked uh, at LED companies like General Lighting in um, high school during as like summer jobs. And I uh, had been following kind of the horticulture lighting landscape a little bit because normal LEDs had or LEDs had taken over kind of the traditional lighting industry. Um, but but HPS were really efficient, uh, double ended HPS, and they were still kind of the last holdout um, to be replaced by LEDs. Uh, and it was, you know, really that horticulture application I, I noticed was was going to be really big for LEDs in the future. Um, so I kind of been keeping an eye on the market and I, um, I ended up, you know, just kind of watching Fluence Bioengineer BML at the time, and they kind of rebranded to Fluence and they released just a really good product, um, that was, you know, at the time really differentiated and, and pretty, uh, from a performance standpoint and, and price standpoint, just a lot better than the other LED options at the time. And I, I just kind of reached out to him. Um, one of the owners actually called me, I was in my third year of college and, uh, we talked for a while and he's, he basically said, you know, we'll probably have a job for you when you graduate, but if you want to leave now, we'll, uh, I'll teach you more in the next year than you'll ever learn in, uh, in college. So, <laughs> you know, I, I thought about it hard, but I, I ended up kind of, I was at UC Santa Barbara at the time. I ended up uh, leaving and going, moving out to Austin. Uh, and it was, you know, at the time a little bit scary, but now definitely in retrospect, one of the best decisions I ever made. And, and to his credit, uh, he did teach me more than I ever would have learned in the last year of college. So, <laughs> well, and I mean, you can always go back. You can be, uh, you know, after you retire, go back and get that degree. <laughs> exactly. And I'm actually, you know, I've, I've re-enrolled in certain classes and stuff. So I'm doing some, you know, as COVID has happened, I've been doing some online and going back and trying to finish it up. But, you know, it was the right time and the right place in, in the industry. And it was a, you know, phenomenal opportunity. Do you think things might have been a little bit different? Like, you know, now it's not that crazy to get a degree in cannabis. You know, had that been more available, is that something you would have pursued? Yeah, no, it's a good question. You know, I, I um you know, I thought about doing some horticulture. I was doing econ at the time. You know, I, I like to say that even though I, I've really spent a lot of my career in, in lighting and, and cultivation equipment in general, um, you know, I like to focus on photons and finance. So I think the econ degree did, or, you know, the, the start of the econ degree did end up um, really being valuable in, in kind of understanding cultivation equipment and then what drives, you know, uh, different equipment decisions and, and just decisions when you're setting up an operation in general for cannabis. So, did you move to uh, Urban Grow from Fluence? Were you brought in as an LED lighting expert? 
Well, so I, I actually, I took a, um, right at the start of COVID, I started working for a tissue culture company doing tissue culture genetics. I wanted to kind of, you know, lighting uh, started to become commoditized, still a really exciting space, but I, I just wanted to kind of expand my horizons, get a little bit closer to the plant and plant touching side of things. Um, but with uh, COVID restrictions, it was, it was challenging to travel in Canada. So I started, uh, you know, reaching out to folks and, and looking at groups that were really active in the U.S., starting to work with some of those bigger MSOs. Um, and Urban Grow, I uh, interacted with a lot during my time at Fluence. Um, you know, they were one of our, our largest partners at Fluence. Um, and we worked on just a lot of really large scale facilities with them. They were doing kind of the irrigation or kind of early stage design stuff. And then we came in on lighting on the back end. Um, and so, you know, I started talking to them and uh, it was just a really good fit. You know, they were working with some really, really large uh, MSOs and, and, you know, a bunch of really exciting groups. Um, lighting is a huge part of what we do. Um, so I did kind of come on to, to help with lighting efforts, but I, you know, it, on the same token, I, I work with a whole bunch of their other equipment, um, you know, fertigation, irrigation, uh, climate control systems, benches, fans, that kind of thing. So it was a cool way for me to, you know, get beyond or expand my horizons beyond just lighting and just photons while also still kind of um, being involved in that kind of early stage design phase that I wasn't able to, to participate in when I was just doing plant touching genetics uh, work. Urban Grow does complete anything from consulting services to complete turnkey cultivation room construction, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's a great question. So, you know, we do full architectural engineering, MEP, stamp drawings, cultivation design, um, and then, you know, the kind of the follow-up to that, once we develop the spec with the customer and, and kind of design these facilities based on their goals is we kind of help integrate uh, cultivation equipment, lighting being a big part of that, but benches, fans, um, and it all kind of goes back to that design spec. So, you know, over the last year, we've really kind of started focusing more on the, that first mile, those first mile services. We acquired a, an architectural firm just a few months back. Um, and, you know, we're, we're through them, we're working with partners and some of these big MSOs about three months earlier than we would have otherwise through mechanical and, and uh, MEP design. So yeah, it's uh, really dynamic what we do here and, and everything from turnkey to, uh, you know, kind of an a la carte menu where you can just pick out certain services or, or equipment items that we can support on. Are you seeing more interest in your turnkey services or sort of a la carte menu? That's a good question too. I mean, it really, it depends on the, the type of customer, you know, a lot of the mid-sized, um, you know, these new states where they want speed to market, mm -hmm. um, they're going for the turnkey just because they they want something that they know is proven, they know will work, uh, get them to, you know, whatever their production goals are and do it in a set amount of time. And going through one group to do all that is is really helpful just again for that speed to market. Um, you know, some of the, the bigger MSOs will do more of the a la carte items. Um, but as we've kind of incorporated more of these design services, things like architectural, um, where we have a lot of kind of differentiated experience working on cultivation specific architectural designs and MEP. Um, you know, that usually we've kind of started working with, uh, or some of these bigger groups that we've started working with, they've started to kind of embrace the turnkey model a little bit more. So they'll start off doing a la carte. And then as they kind of, uh, you know, start working with us more closely, they'll eventually kind of expand and, and do a full facility as a turnkey solution. Can you talk me through the process of building an indoor cultivation facility? Where do you start? What are some of the common pitfalls? You know, what do you need first? Yeah, you know, the, the first thing, and, and I think everyone 
kind of has a different way of, of looking at it depending on where you are in the process. And, and, you know, if you're really at the beginning, I think the first thing to think about is, is what does your market look like? Um, you know, what are, how much do you want to grow? How much does the market bear of that product you want to, you want to be growing or producing? Um, you know, thinking about really what is your end customer and path to that end customer look like, I think is the first place to start. Um, and, you know, we, we work on a lot of that with customers that come to us wanting the turnkey kind of solution, because what we find is that a lot of people want a turnkey design, but they don't know exactly what they're designing to. And so understanding the design spec is kind of the first, I would say the first step with most customers. And some totally already have that. They say, I want, you know, this many pounds of production. I'm going to be selling at this price per pound. This is my budget for the facility. This is when I want to be online. And, you know, and others don't have quite as much of that fleshed out. So we need to kind of work with them a little bit more closely. Once you know what your production goals are, where do you move forward? And is it uh, in terms of what the layout's going to look like, lighting, um, fertigation, stuff like that? I, I think it's, you know, from there, it's, it's budget, you know, and it's the, it's the one that no one really likes to talk about or think about beforehand. But really, you know, there are a couple of pieces that, that make thinking about budget really important. And, you know, I, I equate building a facility kind of to like buying a car. Um, you know, you can put your dollars towards a really nice engine or you can, you know, put it towards a really nice interior. And it's the same with a cultivation facility, you know, are you more focused on getting really high light intensity so that you can, you know, drive production that way and drive ROI that way? Or is it through maybe not quite as expensive, not as much expense on the lighting, but a little bit more of a beefed up HVAC system? Um, You know, so there's a lot of ways that you can kind of skin the cat, but it's about understanding what your budget is and then where you want to kind of allocate those dollars. Um, And that, you know, goes back to referencing your production goals. You know, are you trying to get the highest quality or are you just trying to get, you know, really high volume and get it out the door as quick as possible? You know, what does your market look like? Um, I think that's kind of one of the first things to look at. How often are you telling clients that they have unrealistic expectations? <laughs> no, that's, that's another good question. You know, I think we always try to say, look, we'll, we'll build you whatever you want. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, usually we're, we're pretty our customers are pretty aware of what their budget is. You know, it's, it's rare that customers come to us and say, Hey, I want, you know, the world, but I want to do it on a shoestring budget. And I think, you know, one thing that we're good at as a company is really saying, okay, whatever that budget is, let's, let's get you guys the best and most viable model or operation for that budget. You know, let's put these dollars to the most effective use. Um, you know, we'll never say, Oh, you're, you're totally not going to be able to do that. Um, but we will kind of help you understand the levers that you need to pull and, and the trade-offs that you're kind of making with every dollar that you're spending. I have to believe that you're learning something new with every new facility that comes online. Do you find yourself going back to previous partners and making tweaks as a result of learning something from a new project? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all we're all kind of learning in the cannabis industry a little bit as we go. You know, we as a company, we've changed a lot. You know, part of the reason we acquired um, the architectural firm is because we we kept seeing uh, all these systems that we were integrating, all the MEP work we were doing. We realized that it would, you know, being able to tie it into architectural allowed us to make it a lot more seamless. And so we're constantly developing and, and you know, trying to improve our value proposition and our understanding um, so that we can serve customers better as the market changes. Um, you know, I think designing a facility to account for the, a changing market, things like price compression, that, that's really important. So we always try to, you know, build in some level of future proofing and, and we're always learning, um, you know, a little bit of a vague answer, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a, definitely a learning process. And we do, you know, constantly Im- improve our own knowledge and, and, you know, on the same token, technology is getting a lot better as time goes on. What is MEP work? 
Sorry, I, sh I should have clarified. MEP is mechanical electrical plumbing. Um, so things like HVAC, you know, the, the electrical in your in your facility. Um, and a lot of groups, you know, one of the benefits of, of having it in-house and having it be cultivation focused, you know, we acquired an MEP group two or three years ago that had already done about 300 cultivation facilities. And, and as I'm sure, you know, you and a lot of uh, your guests talk about HVAC in cultivation and a cultivation environment is just so different than, than an office space. Um, you know, plants put out a lot more, a lot more water than humans do uh, through transpiration. And so, you know, that's been, you know, a big piece of, of in improving our value proposition and helping customers become more successful with our solutions on the equipment side and on the service side is really making sure that they have, uh, you know, an HVAC MEP system and, and design that's catered to cultivation and, and kind of the unique uh, aspects of cultivation environments. Uh, where do you operate? Are you solely in the U.S.? Are you global? Do you do most of your work in uh, Texas? Where's where's most of your work? Yeah, so I'm I'm based out of Austin, Texas. Uh, companies in Lafayette, but uh, you know we're really active uh, pretty much everywhere. We we are doing a lot more projects in Europe these days. Over the last year, we've really really ramped up our work in Europe. We actually just made an announcement with a vertical produce farm out there. Um, that we're collaborating with really closely, Urban Health Farms. Yeah, that was the for like twenty facilities, right? Yeah, they're you know things are things are blowing up in Europe. It's getting really big on the cannabis side, but also the you know produce side. It's a it's a major major hub for high quality produce out there, and a lot of guys are moving or transitioning kind of from that greenhouse model that's really common in the Netherlands to indoor. Um, we're seeing that in the U.S. also, and we're working with a lot more of those guys out here. But Europe, it's really taken off, and and obviously Canada is pretty big for us also. How much of the business is cannabis versus everything else? Uh, yeah, no, another good question. It, it's, uh, you know, I don't have an exact number um, and it, it would kind of depend based on like, depending on how you're looking at it, whether it's project number, uh, dollar amount, you know, revenue, you know, we're, I, I, we're, we're actively uh, and pretty quickly ramping up the non-cannabis side. Um, and, you know, that's mainly because we focus on indoor cultivation facilities and what I always say, you know, kind of back to what we were talking about earlier with looking at your, your market, your inputs, your outputs and your production goals, you know, an indoor lettuce facility isn't that different from an indoor cannabis facility, other than the fact that your, your crop is worth a very, very different amount. Um, so the, you know, so what you can justify on the inputs is, is very different also. And so we really specialize in just understanding indoor climate or controlled environment, ag environment uh, settings and applications. And so those applications for non-cannabis uh, crops have been really ramping up over the last few years. So we're seeing a dramatic shift in, in what was 90, 95% cannabis is definitely going the opposite direction now or, you know, changing directions a little bit. Okay. Do you specialize in brand new facilities or do you do retrofits as well? A little bit of everything. You know, we really like the brand new facility because we, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to kind of meet, meet a specific customer spec when you can start from the scratch, you know, um, especially now that we have architectural, we can do everything from designing the facility to make sure plant process flow and operations go smoothly to MEP. You know, it's a lot easier when we have kind of a blank slate, but we absolutely do a lot of retrofit work, especially as some of these, you know, kind of uh, more legacy states, places like Colorado, California, in some cases, they start to kind of upgrade their equipment or look at ramping up production. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot more retrofit work over the last year or two in the in markets like that. In retrofits, what are some of the common pitfalls? You know, I've heard a lot about, um, you know, contaminated buildings. Um, is there ever a building that you're in that just isn't workable? 
You know, another good question. I, you know, I'm sure there are some buildings. We've definitely, you know, I think Oklahoma is probably one of those candidates for places with a lot of, you know, pretty, pretty rough buildings. Um, you know, but but in general, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is if you have an existing HVAC system, um, it can be really, really hard to to upgrade. You know, lighting as an example, switching switching lights with a legacy HVAC system causes a whole bunch of challenges. And even if you have your light levels perfect, you know, it it may not be worth doing. So that's one thing that we always look at is, you know, what are you specifically looking at changing and how will that impact your other systems? Um, and we really try to be cognizant. And sometimes we'll say, look, I, I know that you want more light in here, but your HVAC can't handle it in, in the way that you want to do it. So we would recommend not, you know, not upgrading in that way. And again, it's about allocating dollars in the best way. We just recommend that you allocate those dollars somewhere else to improve production. Urban Grow has done more than 450 indoor cultivation projects that have ranged from 10,000 square feet to 1.8 million square feet. Yeah. What's the best, what's the best one? <laughs> best, best in what way? What would you, uh, yeah, what criteria? In your opinion, what is, what's the crowning achievement that, you know, you put on the pedestal whenever you're uh, pitching a new client? You know, another, another great question. I, it all kind of depends on, um, and I'll kind of clarify, not to dodge the question too much. We can't talk about all of our kind of big customers and, and uh, you know name names specifically. But I, you know, I really like the customers that that think out of the box, but still keep it focused on on kind of core metrics and core uh, you know core drivers of financial performance. And so I, you know, we've done a couple of really big multi level facilities. That's something that we're seeing you know get a lot more traction over the last few years. You know, people run essentially multi-level rolling racks with uh, LEDs at close proximity. Um, and it's a tough setup to make work uh, from for a lot of reasons. But, you know, we've had a lot of customers that have been extremely su successful with it, which is really cool to see, you know, because, again, I think that's a good example of people looking at the metrics they want, which is canopy square footage, consistency, uh, you know, maximizing fixed cost absorption by, you know, increasing canopy within a fixed building footprint. And then really kind of, uh, you know, Taking a taking a, a swing at it, but also um, you know again keeping to the metrics that drive financial performance. And so yeah, I, I think we've done a couple, especially lately, a couple really really large multi level rolling rack facilities that have just turned out really really well. I've heard that some of those multi level rolling rack facilities can be quite difficult to manage. How do you when you put something like that in place? How do you help prepare the clients to set them up for success? So all of a sudden they don't have too much on their hands in terms of operations. Yeah, well, and you know, that's where it goes back to really understanding the customer's spec and, and goals from the get-go. You know, labor, uh, labor is going to go up in a multi-level facility because you're increasing, uh, you know, canopy square footage. And that's really what drives labor costs. So, you know, again, understanding inputs, outputs, what, they, what they're trying to produce, what they're trying to spend in OPEX and CAPEX. I, I think that's, you know, we really let the customer's design goals dictate, you know, the setup and the layout and that kind of thing. And we'll, again help educate on the trade-offs, the pros and cons of, of different options. Um, you know, but it, it's, uh, it all comes down to what the customer feels comfortable taking on. And I think, you know, one thing that we do to really de-risk it on the multi-level side is understanding the HVAC and the environmental control aspect of it. Because mm -hmm. um, when you pack in twice the amount of lights, twice the amount of plants that are transpiring, um, you know, a lot changes in the room and the environment. And I think that's one of the big hiccups we see that people run into. Um, you know, when they, when they try multi-level without really kind of planning it from the get-go. If you have, if budget's not an, not an issue, 
you know, you can put any kind of technology that you want in there. Is the best way humans watching plants or is it cameras, AI and sensors? I, you know, I think, I think today it's, it's probably a combination. Um, you know, the AI and sensors are great for some things, uh, you know, but it's always nice to have a human kind of double checking labor is a huge challenge in cannabis and, and, you know, on the topic of cultivation equipment, a lot of, a lot of it is, is really focused on minimizing labor. And I think that's what we will see over the next few years as, as uh, you know, some of these more sophisticated AI and data tracking groups get into the space. But um, I think right now, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, human element that, that still is required to really make sure these things go smoothly. What are some of the things that you do to increase canopy while reducing energy consumption? Yeah, you know, it, it depends on the setup a little bit. You know, greenhouse, there's not quite as much you can do. Um, you know, one strategy we have seen for greenhouse is a lot of folks are bringing early stage uh, production indoors. You need less light, there's less transpiration, so you need less HVAC. Um, it's a short plant, so you can have these things stacked up to five high and then bring them out into the greenhouse and really make sure that you're using all that sunlight, which is just free photons. And even though I'm a light guy, you know, free photons are my favorite type. Um, and, you know, using all that to drive flower production is fantastic. You know, a lot of greenhouse growers that run early stage uh, indoors, they'll still, or in greenhouse under glass, they'll still have to shade it. And so you're really just, you know, giving up and, and actually blocking photons that could otherwise be used for flower. Um, so that's one, you know, kind of creative way we've seen a lot of greenhouse growers attack it, um, just bringing that early stage indoors. Um, and then, you know, multi, multi-level rolling racks, you know, is increasingly common. We've seen, you know, for a while, people didn't really want to go above two levels. Uh, then we saw people go three, four, you know, I think there's a five level grow that we've, we've done some work with. So, you know, people really just pushing the boundaries on that, but it all comes down to, you know, what's the land cost, what's the building cost, what's your labor cost. Um, so, you know, it doesn't always make sense in, in certain geographies. From an R and D perspective, do you have an incubator where you can test new things, new products, new processes out, or is it kind of waiting for the next client who's willing to take a few more chances? You know, a little, a little bit of both. Um, we, we really vet, and a lot of what I've, what I've been doing with the team is really, you know, trying to find new innovative technologies that we can help de-risk for our customers. You know, maybe there'll be a vendor that has a really, you know, powerful solution, but if you can't incorporate it into the lights or the HVAC and tie it all together, it, it poses a lot of risk. And we're trying to find things like that um, that, you know, differentiate, uh, what we're able to offer and add value to our customers, um, without, you know, using them as guinea pigs. Uh, we really try to do a pretty thorough vetting process and, and anything that we're, we're not sure about, we'll, we'll always be pretty transparent, extremely transparent with customers and say, look, you know, this is, this is, you're going to be one of the first people to deploy this for cannabis because most of this technology, the really innovative stuff is coming over from, you know, groups in the Netherlands that do apply it for tomatoes and, and leafy greens and that kind of thing. Um, and usually when we do see stuff like that enter the cannabis industry, again, it goes back to customer specs and customer uh, goals of wanting to add automation to the process and things like that. And so they understand usually that there is kind of a, a little bit of a, a risk or, or refining process to get that dialed in completely. You mentioned Urban Grow's partnership with Fluence. Could you talk a little bit about the importance with of partnering with OEMs and some of the other partnerships that you have that, you know, make it possible to do your, to do business? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Fluence has been a terrific partner. Obviously I'm, you know, I'm pretty familiar with the team over there. 
Um, but you know, we really look for, for differentiated partners that we can, we can help integrate into systems. You know, one of the biggest challenges we had at Fluence when I was there working on the direct team was understanding how, you know, helping customers understand how switching out lighting as an example, like retrofits or adding in a new type of lighting and a different light intensity, how that affected things or the rest of their cultivation, you know, how it affected post-harvest, how it affected the HVAC system, you know, things like that, irrigation rates. And one thing that I, I really enjoyed about Urban Grow and what we've been able to do is, is we tie it all together and we can help customers understand how adding more light intensity and more watts will affect their HVAC and require some tweaks on their HVAC design. Maybe it's the, the control system on the HVAC and how it's cycling, uh, the irrigation system, watering rates, how those change. And, and so we're able to help customers really get a full picture of any equipment partner that we bring in how that'll impact the rest of their grow um, and really, again, kind of de-risk it for them in a big way on that side. When you're vetting suppliers or manufacturing partners, what are you looking for in terms of qualities? I mean, I'm sure that with supply chain issues right now, availability has got to be a big one. Yeah. Lead time is huge. And, and it always has been. I mean, over the last, I'm sure, you know, the last six months, it's been, it's been crazy. So finding partners that have, you know, a stable, consistent supply that doesn't get uh, or doesn't see any reduction in quality, um, even when supply chain gets impacted, has been a really big one. Um, you know, but on the same token, we're trying to find partners who are going to be there for a long time, for the life. You know, if, if you're buying a piece of equipment and it's going to be warranted for five years through us, we want to make sure that the you know the manufacturer is going to be a going concern for five years. And you know that and supply chain really go hand in hand. We've, what we found is that the larger, kind of more established groups, uh, they're able to much better kind of cope with these supply chain challenges. Um, you know, so that's why, you know, we, we work closely with Argus and other, you know, pretty large group in the space on the, for EC side. Um, you know, we try to find partners that, that have a proven track record and that, uh, you know, are big enough to be around and serve the space and warranty their products for a long time. Have you guys been hit with any uh, supply chain problems that have uh, disrupted your workflow? You know, here and there, you know, we one of the big benefits of working with all these groups and, and establishing these close relationships is that I do I think we do get, you know, kind of preferential treatment in a lot of ways on, on projects that we're working on. So our partners have been able to kind of benefit um, on that side of things, which I'm I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, delays here and there, absolutely, you know, a, a couple couple extra days in port, you know, a couple extra delays, you know, days delay from from some steel getting pushed out, something like that. But Overall, we've been able to cope pretty well. Um, just hoping it doesn't doesn't continue too long. You know, it's uh, definitely everything's a little bit on edge as we uh, as we get big orders in. Um, from your Q3 results this year and your Q3 results last year, I saw that you have had 120 percent, 119 percent growth. Um, I mean, that's an incredible year during a pretty trying time. To what do you attribute that success? Is it just that cannabis is hot and staying hot right now? Well, I think we've, you know, it, I think we've done a really good job at kind of adjusting to the market, understanding what our customers really want and value, and then, uh, you know, adapting to that. Um, you know, like I mentioned, we acquired the MEP uh, division and branch two, three years ago, and then it's, it's kind of ramped up from there. You know, we acquired the architectural firm just a few months back. Um, so we've really been, you know, kind of listening to what our customers want and responding and, and making the adjustments to expand our offerings from there. Um, you know, we've hired really aggressively over the last, uh, last year, we uplisted to NASDAQ, which has been, uh, you know, a really incredible opportunity and, and, you know, we're, we're just moving full speed ahead, but yeah, the market, 
the market's definitely a lot better than it was, you know, a year and a half ago too. So that's a rising, rising boat lifts all, or a rising tide lifts all boats. So that, that definitely helps. With the aggressive hiring, are you hiring people from the cannabis industry? Or are you going outside the industry uh, to fill those roles? You know, it's another, that's another one that there's always, you know, there's so much merit to both sides. I think there's, it's just such a unique industry to hire for um, because it's so hard to hire people with that are really have a tremendous amount of cannabis experience. Um, you know, I think we've had a lot of success hiring from just general ag, you know, group guys and, and gals that have experience in cannabis, but maybe not just cannabis. You know, uh, we just brought on uh, Brett Cherniak. Uh, he's our VP of sales, but we, we, um, he came from Grodan. So he has a whole bunch of experience working with a lot of the groups that we work with all the time, but then also working with a lot of these big greenhouse commercial ag growers, the ones in the Netherlands, um, and, you know, bringing some of that experience into cannabis is something that we really try to do. And then also we're, you know, we're hiring, a, you know, we have a, a whole architectural division that has become really competent and experienced in cannabis, but they're all from, you know, general architecture, just like how our MEP division came from general HVAC and, and became immersed in cannabis. So, you know, we, we believe in both. We see the value of both. And, and we think that, you know, if people are really excited and passionate about the space. It's it's pretty cool to be able to bring them in and let them apply skills from other industries to you know this one that's just a little bit different. Do you see more growth via acquisition in the near term? You know, I I, I can't be the one to you know officially say you know I, I just I don't have too much line of sight into that to be honest. Um, you know, I think I think we're we're flexible. One of the cool things about being at Urban Grow, like I said, is that we really do listen to our customers and and try to understand where we're delivering value and and where our customers you know, can be helped. Um, so I think there are some other areas that, that could come up. Um, but, you know, we're really focusing on kind of that first mile and, and design service and becoming turnkey and able to help customers start to finish and offer a comprehensive package. When you're listening to customers, what's the question that you hear the most often? It, yeah, yeah, no, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of them. Um, you know, the, the first one is always kind of like you mentioned, how, how much is this going to cost? You know, how much does it cost to build a facility? Um, and that again, I think is, is where we come in and just say, you know, it depends what you want to build. It depends what your goals are, but our job and what we strive to do is make sure that every dollar you do spend is, is the most effective way to do it. You know, whether it's, uh, because you're getting the best deal on equipment that you're spending that dollar on, or because you're allocating it towards the best service or, you know, best, you know, strategy, uh, you know, we want to make sure that customers are allocating dollars as effectively as possible. What's the most profitable facility that you've worked on and what has had the best production? Are they the same? You know, I don't know offhand, but I would, I would guess probably not the same, which is, which is actually kind of interesting. And I think it's because, and it goes to show market is so much more important than, than the output of your operation. You know, there are some guys in California that, that grow some incredible product, um, do it consistently, high yields, ultra efficiently, low cost. But their price per pound is so low, especially after over the last four or six months, as things have been kind of impacted, that they're not close to the most profitable. You know, and then we have we have other operators that don't go as as high dollar per square foot on the build out. They're not going for that, you know, Ferrari back to the car analogy. They're going more for a Toyota Camry. But because they're in a market um, that they that's incredible, you know, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, something like that they're able to, the speed to market that they get with that Camry and just being able to get product out there makes them so profitable that, you know, they will oftentimes outperform an operation that's much more efficient. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it just depends on location and geography, you know, and market more than anything. 
Do you ever find yourself talking a customer into a Camry and telling them to scale to the Ferrari once the uh, the market changes? Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I try to stay away from from official recommendations. You know, I, I like to say that I, I try to, you know, share the pros and cons that I see with both options. You know, I think what happens more often is that customers kind of come to the realization that they want, you know, everyone wants a Ferrari. Everyone thinks they want a Ferrari, wants a Ferrari or everyone thinks they want a Ferrari. But then when it comes down to it, you start looking at price, you start looking at what you really get out of that Ferrari time to market, you know, then the Camry makes more sense. And so usually what happens is, is customers kind of come to that conclusion on their own when that does happen. Um, but some people, you know, really want the Ferrari and, and will help you build the, the fastest Ferrari you want. So. Do you run into more challenges with clients that are from within the cannabis industry, or do you run into more challenges with outside money? There's always, you know, there's so much, um, another great question. You're, you're, these, these are all fantastic. I, um, you know, we see both sides of it. You know, a lot of times, um, the, the cannabis, the, the really kind of, uh, experienced cannabis guys will be coming at it with a, a kind of, I, I like to call it like a, an early era scaled up basement, you know, coming from the gray market, it can be challenging for some, some people to adapt to new technology if they're familiar with working with something. Um, whereas investors, I think the challenge is if they're, you know, it's just a new group that has no cannabis experience. Um, they sometimes don't, uh, they'll sometimes miss out on, on the difficulty of actually dealing with plants. You know, if, uh, if you're looking at it as an investor that's never worked in ag, it can be challenging to really understand how many things can go wrong in a cultivation facility. Um, I, you know, so I, I think there are different challenges coming at it from both sides. You know, the, the other kind of group that we see switching into cannabis is, is the commercial ag growers, the big, big, like tomato leafy green. And they kind of, uh, you know, they come at it with a little bit of a different way where they understand the challenges of growing and, and growing plants, but they also have kind of this mindset of, of OPEX is, is the most important. And, you know, when you're dealing with a crop that gets a couple dollars a pound and then switching to one that's $2,000, $3,000 a pound, it's just a little bit of a, a reframing of, of thinking um, on inputs really. And so, you know, I think there are different challenges associated with, with different groups that are coming in with, with mindsets, uh, you know, from other industries. Do you do specifically cultivation or do you go into the processing, uh, any of the food manufacturing, anything like that? You know, we've been partly through the architectural uh, firm. MJ12 does a lot of kind of uh, dispensaries and, and kitchens adjacent to cultivation. Um, we've started ramping up post-harvest and, and processing offerings a little bit more, um, in large part just because, you know, that all kind of comes back to your design spec, what you're trying to grow, what you're trying to deliver into your market. And, you know, yeah, it's kind of the final piece in the puzzle. So we have started ramping that up a little bit, doing things like extraction uh, equipment. And, and again, our, our architectural firm will do uh, kitchens, extraction facilities, dispensaries, that kind of thing. So it's something we're, we're branching into a little bit more, um, mainly because our, our customers are you know kind of asking for support in those areas as we help them on the cultivation side. You know, you left college to get into the cannabis industry. I have to imagine that there had to be some sort of personal connection to the cannabis industry that brought you into it. Is there one? Not, you know, honestly, not really. I, you know, it's, it's a, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge user. I, I like it, but, um, you know, I think what it really was is I, it was kind of the led experience. I, I realized that, you know, like I said, LEDs had taken over normal lighting, uh, and, and horticulture was kind of only a matter of time. And so, you know, when I realized how big the market share of HPS for cultivation facilities was, you know, in, in cannabis, but then also in commercial ag, you know, I just realized that eventually LEDs were going to, um, 
you know, dramatically reshape the industry. And, and once we, I kind of got immersed in it and saw that play out, I, I just fell in love with how dynamic the industry is um, and how, you know, everyone does come in with kind of a different story, different background, different expertise, and, and we're all kind of learning together. So um, yeah, no, it's nothing, nothing in particular about cannabis, but ag in general, I, I just love the, the kind of challenge of, of, you know, growing plants consistently and, and dealing with all the, all the challenges that arise from it. How does Urban Grow prepare for potential states that might come online next? Do, are they forward-looking or is it sort of uh, the, th- the, same, the same process is going to work regardless of state? Yeah, I mean, you know, price compression is definitely something we're looking at. You know, these new states don't see it quite as much. Um, you know, that is something we're focused on more in, in mature markets. Um, but these new states, everyone knows that price compression is going to happen. They're going to start out with a high price per pound and it's going to drop. And so speed to market is a big thing that we're, we're trying to uh, really focus on. Um, obviously, being able to offer innovative technology at, at competitive rates helps in that. But, um, you know, one thing that we've done to enhance speed to market is, is really launch financing solutions for our customers. Um, what, we'll, what we'll find is that a lot, of, a lot of growers will raise money, build a facility uh, or 80% of a facility. And then when time come, the time comes to buy HVAC or lighting, they either don't have the capital to, to do it comfortably without, dilute, without taking on dilution, or they just don't have you know, a way to, to raise the money, even if they know it'll pay off once they start generating revenue through yield. Um, even if they know that there's an ROI, they just might not have the cash to, to do it and put in that extra infrastructure. Um, a good example of that is paying more for LEDs that you know are going to be able to yield higher through higher light intensity. Um, even if you can justify it on paper, if you can't make it to the point, spend the money and make it to the point where you recognize that increased revenue, it's not worth it um, and are not viable. And so we've really ramped up financing solutions. I, I don't know if you saw, but we just partnered with Excess Capital. Um, and so, you know, we're really kind of, in, you know, that's in a response to being able to help groups get to market faster. And, and in large part, because of these new states, we're seeing that that race happen every time one of these new states goes online. How does the partnership work with Excess Capital? So they, you know, they will do all kind of the vetting and, and uh, risk assessment on their own. We will work with customers, do kind of a little bit of uh, just kind of pre-qualification. And then if customers are interested in financing solutions, we just put them in touch and, and they kind of run with it on their own. You know, Excess in general is looking for pretty established operators. So again, it's more the MSO that's operating in, let's say, California and Nevada, and then wants to go into Michigan and start a new facility. You know, that's that's a good fit for them, something like that. But, you know, on the same token, we're we're actively, um, you know, we understand the importance of financing for startup phase operations also. And we're actively kind of pursuing strategies to help help address that and help support customers like that, too. So, um, you know, it's it's dynamic and, and financing in the space is always a little bit of a kind of one off. It's always approached a little bit as a one off um, just because there's so many moving parts based on geography and, and all that. But definitely something we're focusing on and ramping up a lot over the next few months. In the event of federal legalization, how's that, how does that stand to impact your business? It, it depends, you know, a little bit unclear. I, I would say, you know, it depends a little bit on um, how it's implemented, you know, is cross state, uh, you know, are, are operators going to be able to move product across state lines or is it going to be still pretty restricted within the state? Um, you know, in general, I think as a company, we're really excited about legalization and things becoming more opened up. Um, we think that there's probably, it's a long time before interstate commerce comes online, but we're, you know, we're excited for everything that can come with legalization. I think there's just going to be a lot more opportunity in general. If cost isn't an issue, what are some of the innovative technologies 
that you're most excited about when it comes to cultivation? Yeah, another great question. You know, I think, like you said, some of the sensor, some of the AI stuff, I think that could get really, really interesting. We've, we're definitely keeping an eye on a lot of that and, and doing some, uh, you know, kind of preliminary work in that, on that side of things. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that'll be a, a huge piece of it. Sensors, AI, taking humans out of the equation. And on the same note, I think automation equipment, automation systems that are kind of built for post-harvest, but then even through cultivation and operation, you know, I think automation is going to become a much, much bigger deal in the space over the next couple of years, especially as price compression happens in more of these mature markets. Now, I might, I might have heard you wrong, but I believe you said free photons are your favorite type. Yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> How do you get those free photons? So, you know, the sunlight. The uh, sunlight's a great way to do it. I, I, I love greenhouse. I love indoor. You know, the challenge with greenhouse is obviously you don't always get those free photons. They're great when you're getting them, but they're, you know, when you're not getting them, they're not good at all. Um, and then also environmental control is a lot more challenging, you know, with the changes in sunlight and, and temperature outside, it's, it's a lot harder to control your environment inside. Um, and I've seen a lot, you know, we've, we've seen a whole bunch of greenhouse growers try to add equipment and infrastructure to address that. But, you know, the kind of trade-off and challenge always becomes, you know, if you put enough equipment into an, into a greenhouse, it just becomes an indoor facility with a bad R, R and U factor, uh, bad insulation. And so, you know, it's, it's always kind of a trade-off between, you know, what you're trying to produce, what your inputs are and what your budget is. Uh, and that's why that, that first kind of initial design and, and vetting process is so important to make sure that we're, you know, all aligned on goals and, and setting out from the start with the right endpoint in mind. You know, now that you're in the industry, are you a cannabis industry lifer or do you like to keep your options open? You know, I, I would like to stay in commercial ag. You know, I think cannabis is terrific. Uh, you know, it's from a financial standpoint, it's really interesting just how valuable this crop is um, and how you know differentiated it is. It's not like corn where it's a commodity. Um, but I think, you know, general ag and, and a lot of these indoor vertical farms are, are going to become really, really interesting over the next few years. Food production is only going to get more, more important. You know, people are starting to care more about the quality of their food and their vegetables mm-hmm. um, and the, you know, the premiums that we're seeing people pay on indoor grown lettuce and, you know, arugula, things like that. It's not matching cannabis, but it's definitely kind of going in the right direction where more equipment is going to get more viable. Um, so I, I think I would like to stay in ag. I, uh, you know, ag as a whole is just, it's so dynamic and so, so interesting that I think I would like to stay in it. As you are juggling, you know, food production and cannabis cultivation projects, how do you, is there ever any confusion in terms of like when you're managing all these pro, uh, different projects? Yeah, well, you know, it's all about, you know, again, that's where, that's where it goes back to what I said, where I think all these systems are, are essentially trying to achieve the same thing. You know, you're trying to understand what, how much you can charge for your end product, what it takes to make that end product, and then what your, you know, CapEx is to, to set up that facility. And so, yeah, I mean, there are definitely some, some changes on, on how much light intensity you want for lettuce or, or tomatoes or how much, you know, how you lay out the canopy, stuff like that. Um, but, but we always really try to make every project bespoke, um, you know, and based on customer goals. And it's just a very different, you know, the financial inputs are just very different for lettuce. But other than that, you know, I, I think it, you know, it's best to have them be treated kind of the same way because you're trying to do the same thing out of both of them at the end of the day. Okay. What are your predictions for the industry? Let's just say in the near term, the next year, five years, uh, what do you foresee happening? Uh, Is it federal legalization? I think federal is probably a a little ways off. Uh, Maybe I'm just, just pessimistic about how slow things move in government, but I, uh, you know, I think that's, 
that's probably a few years off. And then when it does happen, like I said, interstate commerce, you know, all these states spent so much time developing their own regulatory system. I think the last thing they're going to want to do is, is, you know, let the tax dollars go, you know, go somewhere else or let, you know, one big uh, state and facility that produces a ton in like Denver or something be able to ship all over. So I think states are going to probably restrict interstate commerce. Um, you know, over the next year, I, I think we're going to see a lot of commoditization on, on products, uh, you know, actual cannabis and, and flower prices in a lot of these more mature states. But I think we're also going to see a lot of commoditization on, on uh, equipment. You know, lights are, are a good example. There's, you know, a lot of more LED options than, than you had three years ago, and they look a lot more similar than they did three years ago. Um, and we're seeing that across the board, you know, benches, fans, all that is becoming more commoditized. But, you know, for, for us, that's kind of an exciting opportunity because it allows us to just become more equipment agnostic and really focus on that design spec and say, look, we'll help you guys get to where you want to be. Let's focus on the design and we'll make sure that you get the best option on equipment. And, we, you know, we can have we can essentially help you guys leverage the commoditization to get the best price on everything. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's probably a lot of what I see is just general commoditization in the industry. Before we get out of here, I always like to ask, you know, is there anything that we might have left out or anything in particular you'd like the uh, audience to know about Urban Grow or yourself personally? No, nothing, nothing in particular. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, if if there's anything we can help with, feel free to reach out. You know, we uh, like I said, we, we can treat it as kind of a turnkey or an a la carte menu. And we're always happy to chat about you know, like I said, just pros and cons of different different cultivation equipment decisions, strategy decisions, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, we love this stuff. And we're always happy to chat. Excellent. Well, Mitch, thank you very much for joining me today, man. I really do appreciate it. Oh, pleasure, David. I appreciate you taking the time. Before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving us a positive review. If you want to recommend somebody for a future podcast, you can reach me at david at cannabisequipmentnews.com. Finally, Make sure you subscribe to the Cannabis Equipment News newsletter at CannabisEquipmentNews.com. Make sure you get the podcast in your inbox first. All right, again, for Mitch, I'm David Manti. This is the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast.